you're here. My name's Bradley. I'm one of the pastors. If you're new to Res, we're glad that you're here. I know we have some folks for the first time. We just want to welcome you. Can we welcome our guests this morning, Res? We would love for you to stop by a Welcome Center. If this is your first, second, or third time, you haven't stopped by a Welcome Center yet, take one of the connection cards and the seat backs in front of you, fill that out, take it to one of our Welcome Centers. There's one in this hallway and one in this hallway back here. We have a free gift for you, uh, and we'd just love to connect with you, answer any questions that you have, so we're glad that you're here. Uh, We're going to start a new series today, Advent, which is... um, The term that we use to describe Christ's first coming at Christmas actually begins next week, but we're going to start a week early. We're going to start a series that's going to take us to Christmas Eve, and we'll have our Christmas services this year on Christmas Eve. Um, Yep, yep, Sunday is Christmas Eve this year, or Christmas Eve is Sunday, so we'll have our services on Sunday. So we're going to start our Advent series this week. So if you have your Bibles, I'll get there in just a minute, but you can turn to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, and while you're turning, let me tell you just a little bit about this year's Advent series. How many of you know with God, it's always plan A, right? We've talked about that a lot here at Resurrection Church. If you're new, that's just simply a way that we talk about the fact that God doesn't react, God only acts. God doesn't create man, man falls, and then God goes, "Uh uh-oh, right? God has a plan. He had a plan from the beginning. And the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus was the lamb slain before. Everybody say before. Before the foundations of the world. God says of himself in Isaiah, I'm the God who declares the end from the beginning. Wouldn't that be nice if we could do that? Huh? Wouldn't it be nice if we could finish before we start? Because sometimes between the start and the finish, things get a little jacked up for us. Can we say Amen. But God doesn't have that problem because God never starts until he's finished. He says, I will accomplish my purpose, which means this. Human history is not a highway being cut through the countryside by people with no compass. Right? God has a plan. And everything he does and everything that happens, okay, Every event in human history supports that plan, okay? God has a plan. Everything supports that plan, which means for us as Christians, we don't look to past events and try to explain them only with past causes. Here's an incredible advantage that we as Christians have, is we get to understand the past in light of future purpose which God has revealed to us by his word that's pretty awesome isn't it so here's what we're going to do in this series we're going to go back into the old testament and we're going to look at the covenants that God made with Noah Abraham Moses David uh, and understand those covenants and how they point us to Jesus and the new covenant which we'll talk about on Christmas Eve does that sound good so Noah Moses Uh, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David with a view of how those covenants prepared the way for Christ. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll celebrate the new covenant in Christ. Sound good? Good. So today we're going to talk about Noah. Now, before we get to the scripture, tell me, and it's okay to say it out loud. Those of you that grew up in church and you went to kids' church, what are some of your favorite songs that you learned in kids' church? 
Jesus loves me. Another one. Father Abraham and many sons. Yeah, you want to do that? No, I'm just kidding. What? That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, there's another one that I learned, though. Y'all, y'all remember the one that said, it might be the same one, Heather, is um, the Lord told Noah there's going to be a floody floody. Y'all remember that? Build an arky arky. Get the animals out of the muddy muddy. And didn't we at some point do this? Wasn't that in the song somewhere, or am I just making that up? Does anybody remember that from the song, doing that? I must have dreamed that somewhere. There's this, I know there's a kid's song. Maybe Robert could tell me. Or you, you do the little pop with your cheek. I thought that was the Arky Arky, right? Anyway, how many of you remember the song Arky Arky, right? The Lord told Noah. It, it's, it's interesting how we've, over time, we've made the story of Noah and the flood a children's story. At least in the sense of how we typically think about children's stories is they're these nice little fables with a moral principle. But how many of you understand that Noah and the Flood is not a children's, cute little children's story? It's a horrific event. There's a, there was a French artist, Gustave Dore. He actually engraved an image of the Flood. And the image, I was going to show it to you, but it's just a little too graphic. It's, it's a vast sea, an angry sea. Waves are crashing everywhere. Bodies are floating in the water. And from the water, there's protruding one rock. And up on that rock are three children that are looking down at their parents who are about to drown. And the parents are desperately trying to push a little baby up onto the rock with the other three children. And beside the three children is a mother tiger with her young in her mouth trying to keep her head above the water. And there are exhausted vultures circling overhead who are just about to run out of gas and crash into the water. It's not a cute little children's story. It's a horrific story. And the question we have to ask really is, how in the world did it come to that? How in the world did it come to the point where God, the maker of heaven and earth, would wipe out all of his creation except for one family and pairs of animals on a boat? How did it even come to that? Let's read our scripture. I'm going to read our main text And we're going to back up and answer that question. And then we're going to learn some things from the covenant that God made with Noah. But let's look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. Is everybody there? Say amen. So this is after the flood. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I, have, as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. 
And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From, this, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And God made man, for God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that I will never, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you, between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. It's a long passage, but there's a lot in there. This covenant that God made. Let's go back and let's try to understand why in the world this flood happened in the first place. Why did God create man? The answer to that question is in the creation story. God said, let us make man in our, after our likeness. So the purpose of man was to bear God's image and fill the earth with his glory. And everything else in creation was made to support that purpose. Okay, there's something wonderful and something beautiful in the fact that we are not lizards. We're not birds. We're not monkeys. Okay, animals. Have you ever wondered why did God make animals anyway? They have, listen, in the creation story, the Bible says they have the breath of life. But they do not bear God's image. I think animals are on the earth to accentuate man's image-bearing quality. Why are plants on the earth? God makes it clear in the creation story that God gave plants for food for both man and beast. Everything that has been made, everything, supports God's ultimate purpose for man, which is to fill the earth with His glory by bearing His image. That's why you and I are here. That's pretty awesome, right? You wake up in the morning and you go, why am I on this earth? What's my purpose? What does God want to, with, with me? Why am I here? I don't know what your job is. I don't know what your career is. I don't know how your life has been spent up to this point. But here's the truth. When you come to know God and when you become a child of God, your purpose is clearly in view. You're to bear God's image. I thought I'd get a better amen than that. That's a pretty awesome purpose. The question is, was all of it lost at the fall? Did all of that get sabotaged by Adam and Eve's fall? 
Here's my answer, yes and no. I've heard it said that we, we live in the most indecisive generation ever. I heard a pastor say that he called a, uh, an employee of his church into his office who was underperforming. And he asked this employee who was a young 20-something on his staff, he said, are, are, are you, do you think you, your problem is that you're indecisive? And, and this young employee looks back at him and goes, well, yes and no. <laughs> Just a little joke to keep you awake. Did, was, was our purpose compromised at the fall? Yes and no. Yes in this sense. Flip a couple of pages to Genesis 6. Back a couple of pages. Was it lost at the fall? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only, everybody say only, only evil. Adam and Eve fall. Adam falls and the first thing he does is blame Eve. Then Cain kills Abel. It doesn't take long for disaster, right? And then Cain's great-great-great-grandson, Lamech, kills a young boy. And by the time we get to Genesis 6, this inward evil that now resides in man is breaking out everywhere. Corruption and violence are filling the earth. Man's original purpose to bear God's image has been marred almost, almost beyond recognition. Yes and no was all lost at the fall. Yes, in the sense that inward evil was breaking out everywhere, but no in this sense. Noah found grace. There's a glimmer of hope in this horrific story is that Noah found grace. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor, same word as grace, in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, we've got to understand something. When the Old Testament talks about blameless, it doesn't mean sinless. Let me say that again. When the Old Testament talks about blameless, it doesn't mean sinless. Noah walked with God. What does that mean? It means that Noah was agreeing with God about his own evil. And he was turning from it and trusting God for grace. Noah experienced what the Old Testament... Here's our first pointer to the New Covenant. Noah experienced what the Old Testament calls a circumcision of the heart, which the New Testament, the New Covenant, calls rebirth. You with me? Grace... From God. It's not that Noah was somehow saved from the wickedness that came through Adam and that he wasn't really as wicked as everybody else. It's just that Noah received grace and it gave rise to repentance. You with me? So Noah repented and turned. He wasn't sinless. Case in point, after the flood, y'all know what happened? Some of you do. Noah plants a vineyard. Great. He takes the grapes and he makes some wine. Great. Here's where the wheels come off. He gets drunk, he passes out naked, and causes his son to sin. Noah wasn't sinless. The flood did not eradicate sin. I'll come back to that. Okay. So, 
Yes, man's image-bearing purpose was compromised, but Noah found grace, so there's hope. So, what can we learn from the flood? Let's, let's talk about the flood a little bit, and then we're going to get to this covenant. Here's, let me tell you two things the flood teaches us, okay? Here's number one. The flood teaches us that we are all sinners and deserve judgment. I chose those words carefully. We are all sinners. Pretty much anybody who's been in church, read their Bibles a little bit, would say amen to that. Here's the harder part to amen. We deserve judgment. I prayed with the praise team before service, and this is what I've been stewing on all morning long. God could wipe every last one of us off the face of the earth, and he would be righteous in doing it. It would not compromise his holiness in any way, because he's holy and we're unholy on our own. So when you sing, it is well with my soul, when you sing, you're making me like you, when you sing, you can take dry bones, there ought to be something in the depths of your soul that just rings so true is that God hasn't just made your life better. He hasn't just given you some provision here and there. He hasn't just given you some peace here and there that helps you get through a hard day. God has kept you alive by His grace. And we ought to be thankful for that every day. I've got breath in my lungs because He wills it. The Bible says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If he stopped thinking us, we wouldn't exist. And neither would the universe. We're here because of him. And we're here by of grace. And the flood teaches us we are sinners that deserve judgment. We deserve it. Advent makes no sense. The coming of Christ as a baby, growing up, living as a man giving his life and dying. It makes no sense until you understand that we are sinners. Without an ark, we drown. We can no more, you and I, preacher, contract worker, stay-at-home parent, business person, teacher, doesn't matter. We can no more survive the flood of God's righteous wrath against our sin than we could Noah, Noah's family could have survived the floodwaters without an ark. We need a Savior. Here's our second pointer to the new covenant. Jesus is our ark. So the flood teaches us that we're sinners and we deserve judgment. Here's the second thing the flood teaches us is that the flood teaches us that God does not tolerate sin. He does not tolerate it. If you're like me, you've had this thought. You just sort of hope that God at some point is just going to go, you know what, let's just forget the whole thing. It's all right. I know we'll let that, we'll let your life slide. You know it's our wickedness that longs for that. It is. 
It's the wickedness in our heart. Psalm 51 says, I was born in iniquity. Every inclination of my heart is evil. It is the evil in my heart that wants God to just sweep it all under the rug. If God did that, if that was who God is, if He tolerated sin. See, there's a difference between grace and tolerating. Grace is not tolerating sin. Grace is something much deeper than that. If God were to simply sweep everything under the rug, He would either be, listen, He would either be a liar where He lies about His holiness, where everything this book says about how holy He is is a lie. Everything this book says about how righteous and beautiful and worthy He is, it's a lie if God sweeps it all under the rug. He's lying. He's not really that worthy. So He's either a liar or He's disregarding His holiness. He's disregarding His righteousness. He's treating with contempt His beauty and worth. And guess who actually did that Satan himself so God is either a liar or he's like Satan himself if he sweeps sin under the rug that's how big a deal this is you cannot celebrate the magnitude of the gospel and the victory that Christ won until you understand the magnitude of the problem. Here's the magnitude of the problem. We are all sinners who deserve judgment. And we stand before a God who cannot and will not tolerate sin because His holiness, His righteousness, and His beauty and worth won't allow it. That's what the flood teaches us. Where's our hope in that? Where's our hope? How could we possibly survive in the presence of, of a God like that? God won't tolerate sin. It's clear from the story of the flood. Let me just read these verses to you. They'll be on the screen. Genesis 6, verse 7. <clears throat> So the Lord said, I will not blot out man. I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to, of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 17. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And you skip over to chapter 7 and it happens. Now here's the thing. Let's go back to where we started. God's not reacting, is He? This is not a reaction from God. Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God is not reacting. He's acting. Why? There's only two reasons he acts in this way. And only one of them can be true. He's either acting in this way because this is his remedy for sin. Right? Or he's demonstrating. 
And I say it's number two. Because the flood didn't fix sin, did it? God's not a failure. God doesn't go, let's see if this works. Whoops, that didn't. Let's try something else. Jesus, you up to going down there? <laughs> nope. The flood didn't fix sin, so that means God is demonstrating what? We're sinners and deserving judgment. He's not going to tolerate sin. Because his beauty, his worth, his holiness, and his righteousness are that precious. And they cannot be compromised. So what's our hope? The hope is in the covenant. The covenant that God makes with Noah, and it's beautiful, guys. And my hope for us all today is that we'll be strengthened in our confidence in this God who preserves his purpose for man. The point of this covenant is God preserving his purpose for man, preserving his purpose for me. In fact, let's just say that together. God preserved his purpose for me. Let's say that. God preserved his purpose for me. When sin should have ripped it away from all of us, God preserved it. And here's how he did it. Let's look at it. God preserves his purpose for man in three ways, okay? Three ways, and here's number one. God is going to preserve his purpose for man from the threat of animals. You might be thinking, what? I see that coming. Just stop and think about it. In order for man to bear the image of God and fill the earth with his glory, we've got to be alive, Genesis 9, verse 2. Look at this. The Bible's so cool. Genesis 9, verse 2. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and on all the fish of the sea. You ever notice that when you step into the ocean and there's a fish, it runs or swims away? You ever walked out into your backyard and there's a deer out there and it takes off? You ever been in a tree stand and the deer saw you? <laughs> Those of you that hunt. God did something in order to preserve man. Now, I know that animals can still be a threat, but I'll never forget probably 20 years ago, I was out in Oklahoma on a friend of mine's father's ranch, and we were riding horses. And at this ranch, there was a little six-year-old girl, I think, tiny little thing, who was, I think, the niece of my friend's dad that owned this ranch, and she had been around the horses a whole lot. And there was one horse we were riding, a big old huge male horse, strong, beautiful, and my friend's dad took the reins from this horse, he was needed to do something else, and he handed them to this little six-year-old girl. She grabbed the reins in her little hand, and you know what that horse did? Stood there just like that. He could have flung her 30 feet with just a flick of his neck, but he stood there subdued. You see, 
how God has gone to great lengths to preserve the human race, even from the threat of animals, because His purpose for you and I is to fill the earth with His glory. God did that through the covenant with Noah. Here's number two. God preserves man from the threat of man. In order to preserve his purpose for man, he preserves man from the threat of animals and he preserves man from the threat of man. Verse 5, chapter 9. And your lifeblood, for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now I know in a crowd this size... There are probably varying opinions on the death penalty, on capital punishment. Honestly, I struggle with it sometimes. But here's the fact, is that God, in His sovereign plan, beginning with the end in mind, doesn't start till He's finished, declares the end from the beginning, He will accomplish His purpose, preserves man from the threat of man by making murder a capital punishment. From for a man's blood, I will require man's blood. And he says also from the beast, God preserves man. There are all kinds of ways that we could debate just and unjust murder, but here's the point. God's preserving his purpose for man from the threat of man. When a man takes a man's life, he attacks God's purpose. He attacks God's purpose. So God says, I'm going to protect you from the threat of man. That's number two. Here's number three. Number three, God preserves man from the threat of God. God preserves man from the threat of animals, from the threat of man. And God preserves man from the threat of God. Look at verse 22. Excuse me. Verse 11. Of chapter 9. Here's what he says. Two ways in which he's going to preserve man from the threat of himself. Number one, God promises never to destroy the earth again with a flood. Verse 11 of chapter 9. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God puts up his bow and he says, I'm going to withhold universal judgment for a time. I promise I'm not going to wipe out the earth with the flood again. He promises to withhold. He puts up his bow. And this is, I know rainbows are beautiful. And I know that some of us grew up in kids' church with rainbow flannel graphs. And we, we've, we've made this story into a fairy tale. But the truth is, a rainbow in the clouds is the sign that God is withholding judgment for the sake of grace. He could wipe out the earth justly, 
but he promised not to through Noah. This is why this covenant matters big time for us. That God is withholding judgment. That's the first thing he says. Here's the second thing about how he's preserving man from himself. God promises to preserve the natural order. Verse 22 of chapter 8. Just flip a page over. Chapter 8. He says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. So rather than destroy the earth, he's going to sustain it. You put a watermelon seed in the ground at the right time, guess what? We're eating watermelon. For long. He's going to sustain the natural order. When's the last time you were thankful that the sun rose in the morning? Some of you said this morning, and that's awesome. You know what that is? That is a fulfillment of God's promise to Noah. How many of you love to watch the leaves change and fall? Right? And when the flowers begin to bloom in spring, right? How many of you garden? Right? And you love to see those little sprouts come up, right? That's a fulfillment of God's promise to know. He says, I'm going to keep that going to preserve you. So God preserves his purpose for man, image bearing, filling the earth with his glory. By protecting man from animals, from man, from God himself, God's going to sustain the natural order. He's going to withhold universal judgment, but we've still got a problem. You know what that problem is? Sin. It's still here. Every inclination of man's heart is evil. We still got a problem. The flood didn't fix that. God wasn't trying to fix sin with the flood. That's not his final remedy. What's his final remedy? There's a clue. Verse 20 of chapter 8. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma... The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. It was a pure sacrifice that was the basis for God's covenant with Noah. And that's a pointer. It's another pointer in this story to God's final remedy. Grace, I said this earlier, grace is not God tolerating sin. When God forgives you and I for our sinfulness, the evil inclination of our heart that often manifests in deeds, in words, in emotions, hurts, betrayals, adultery, pornography, stealing, backbiting, lying, even murder. When God forgives that, it's not Him just going, all right, I'm just going to be nice to them. They're doing the best they can. It's a response to a pure sacrifice. And before the foundation of the world, how did God come to Noah and offer him grace that led to repentance? How? Lamb 
slain before the foundation of the world. Noah didn't get grace because Noah was somehow better than all the rest. He got grace just like you and I receive grace by Christ. Bradley, where do you get that from? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. I'm going to start kind of halfway in verse 26. Hebrews chapter 9. Watch this. But as it is, he has appeared once for all. Did you catch that? He appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once for all. Every person, Old Testament, New Testament, past, present, and future, that receives grace, receives grace because Christ appeared once for all. Verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting, waiting for him. Christ appeared in the fullness of time. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and he appeared when the fullness of time came, and he made grace possible for all. Were it not, we sing amazing grace, were it not for grace... We would be drowning in the waters, the flood waters of God's righteous wrath. But because of that, we're saved. We live. We were dead. Now we've been made alive. And this covenant with Noah, it was based on a pure sacrifice and it points to God's final remedy for sin. Jesus came. The Christmas story makes no sense at all if you don't understand. If there's no ark, we drown. There's no, oh, but I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. I, 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 I'll be okay. I'll, I'll make it. No, 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 no. The flood tells us there's none righteous. No, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the... And that's the purpose of God, is to fill the earth with His glory. Man messed it up. Man lost all hope until God offered grace. If God, God didn't have a plan B, Jesus wasn't plan B, He's plan A, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, so God could find Noah in a world full of wickedness and say, I'm going to preserve my purpose. You know what our greatest hope is? Our greatest hope is not in our ability to keep covenant. Anybody want their salvation staked on that? My ability to keep covenant? Driving home from Thanksgiving with Mary's family and somebody's driving 40 on the interstate. I want to run them off the road. All it takes is one little thing and my composure goes out the window. And you might say, well, that's just a little small thing. But in view of a holy and righteous God, 
There's no hope for me. There's no hope for you. But grace. Not cheap. Sweep it under the rug. It doesn't matter. But I'm going to spill my own son's blood. So that I can preserve my purpose for you. Our hope is that God is a faithful covenant keeper. And when you wake up tomorrow morning and the sun rises. When you step out into your backyard and a deer darts into the woods. When it rains and the sun's out at the same time. And you see a rainbow in the clouds. You remember, he's a faithful covenant keeper. And all hope is not lost because he has preserved his purpose for me. And he paid for it with the blood of his own son. We should be dead. Just let that sink. Let it sink. It, I know it hurts and it's scary, and it's, but we should be dead. But we're not because he's faithful. So this Advent, as we celebrate Christ's coming, maybe keep it in the back of your mind. He is our ark. He is our way of salvation. Because of him, I've received grace when I deserved death. Would you stand with me? Lord, what a joy it is to celebrate you. And it's the point, it's the goal, it's the prize. It's to stop trying to measure ourselves against other people, against the world, against human standards. The goal is to stop comparing and contrasting ourselves with others on the basis of our our moral aptitude or our economic status, our marital status, how many times we've been married and divorced, how many missions trips we've been on, how much money we've given, all of those things. I think the Apostle Paul had them in mind when he said, I count them all as loss. Because the goal is you, your glory, the spread of your fame, and your purpose for us to reflect you. So I want to thank you for preserving that. I want to thank you that even though I deserve death, I'm alive today because of the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Holy Spirit, would you help us right now to celebrate the glory of our Lord, who is our ark, our Savior, from the flood of your righteous wrath, that we might receive grace. In Jesus' name, amen.